You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, dear saints, fair warning. (laughs) This is a bit long. At least I think it is. I had to shrink it down to eight-point font in the outline to make it fit. Really, the sermon is going to cover a lot of things that we've talked about before, but I want to put them all together so that it makes sense. And so we'll start with this image. We have courtrooms today, but in the ancient world, courtrooms were much different. First of all, they weren't inside. They would be outside. And in Jewish villages, the courtroom would be by the gate of the city, and the elders would go there, and people would bring uh, to them their court, their case, and they would hear them and make a judgment. In the Greek and Roman world, they would have the courtroom in the middle of the city, and they would have an open space, and there would be a chair there called the bema seat or the judgment seat. And the ruler would come, and he would sit on the throne, the seat, the chair of judgment, and he would judge if a thing was right or wrong, if a person was innocent or guilty, and all sorts of legal transactions would take place there. This is the picture. In fact, when we were in Corinth uh, last year, we saw they just recently discovered where the Bema seat was in the city of Corinth, right by the city center. And the crowds would be gathered around. And if someone would, was accused, they would stand up there and be accused, and someone would come and speak against them. They would accuse them. That's the Hebrew word Satan, accuser. And they would bring a charge against the person there. And then they would have other people. They would bring witnesses and they would bring uh, charges against them. And there would be other people that would be gathered around. And that would be the jury. And then there would be someone that would stand next to the accused as their helper, their advocate. The comforter or the counselor. That's the Greek word, and this is important, especially later. That's the Greek word paraclete. Perhaps we would translate it defense attorney. They would stand there and advise the accused of what to say. Or they would present the case for them. They would, they would, they would argue for their innocence, for their righteousness before the judge and wait for the judge's verdict. It's also important to know that there weren't professional judges. The rulers themselves would be the judges. For for example, remember King Solomon was the king of Israel, and yet he sat and held court. Or Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, was himself also the judge, making the judgment. Now, this title, paraclete, or advocate, or defense attorney, or helper, or counselor, this is the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in the text that we have today. I will send to you the paraclete. But more on this later. We've got to get a full picture. Now, this picture of the courtroom with the judge there on the throne and with the cloud of witnesses surrounding them and with the accuser standing there and the accused in the middle being accused of their sin, this is the picture that we see whenever the Bible gives us a glimpse of heaven itself. God is the one who sits there on the throne. And the saints and the angels are gathered around as the witnesses. And there is an accuser, even in heaven, Satan, who has a seat in this court. Remember how it was with Job. Right at the beginning of Job, it says, The angels of God gathered to the throne of God, and among them came Satan, the accuser. And what did he do there? He did his accusing work. He brought accusation against the Lord's Job and says he's only righteous because you give him so much good stuff. 
We see another picture of this in Zechariah chapter 3, where the high priest, who was named Joshua that year, the high priest is brought into this judgment throne. And he stands before God, and there on the side, standing against him, is Satan, bringing to God all of the high priest's sins and failures and mistakes. Now, this throne of heaven is where the judgment of humanity occurs, and it's a frightful picture. You know, nowadays we have all these debates about uh, can we have the Ten Commandments in the courtroom? You know, should the Ten Commandments be on the walls or should they be taken down? You can make no mistake that in this court, in the heavenly courtroom, the Ten Commandments are hanging there. And this is a frightful picture because they stand against you. They accuse you of your sin because none of us have kept God's law, not a single one of us. So that when the devil stands there before God the Father, God the judge, and he, the devil, tells God all the things that you've done wrong and all the things that you're doing wrong, the devil is right. He doesn't have to lie. He doesn't have to make stuff up. You give him enough material to work with, and so do I. You're guilty. Guilty of God's wrath, deserving of it. Now, in some sense, we all know that we're guilty and we try to get out of it. And the way that we try to get out of it is with our good works. Do you know this? I mean, we're so always tempted to think that we can bring our good works as evidence on our for our case. But this doesn't even work in earthly course. Imagine that if I uh, went out in the parking lot, snuck out during the hymn. That's We had ten stanzas, so I had time. I snuck out in the parking lot and I set a couple of your cars on fire. And I snuck back in here to preach the sermon. Now, you go out and you find it, and there's my you know, fingerprints all over. Oh, the pastor set our cars on fire. So now you bring me to court, and the judge says, well, how do you plead, innocent or guilty, of setting cars on fire? And I say, well, Your Honor, I plead innocent. Because when I was setting a couple of the cars on fire, I washed the rest of them. <laughs> now, the judge says, that doesn't matter. You're not on trial for washing cars. You're on, you're on trial for setting them on fire. Even in an earthly court, it's our, it's our sins that are being judged, not our good works. And you could go do a lifetime of good works, but you go and commit a crime, you're guilty of that crime. So imagine going up to heaven and the Lord says, well, did you commit this sin and that sin? Did you break my law? Did you despise me? And all this sort of thing. And you say, well, yeah, I did all those things, but I also did a lot of good. Or I, at least I tried to do really hard. It just doesn't fly. So that we stand in this heavenly court as guilty condemned. And this is a frightful picture. Now, if things stayed like this in the heavenly court, there would be an incredible amount of trouble. It would simply be a frightful sort of thing. But the scriptures speak of the action of this heavenly council in quite a beautiful way. That there is in this heavenly courtroom, before the throne of God, right now at this very moment for you, a paraclete an advocate, one who stands next to you and argues your case and pleads for the judge that you would be innocent. And this, your advocate, is none other than Jesus himself. John writes, this is 1 John, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you wouldn't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate a paraclete, a defense attorney with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you see that Jesus, when he ascends into heaven and sits down at the Father's right hand, is taking up the office, the job, the work of being our advocate, of standing in the courtroom of God and arguing your case, defending you. And he brings as evidence not all of the good works that you've done or all of the nice things that you've said. He brings as evidence into this heavenly courtroom his own blood, his suffering, his death, his cross, His resurrection, His work, His righteousness. And this is the evidence for your innocence. And with these, He pleads your case. Imagine it with the accuser, the devil there, with a scroll. And on it, He has a list of all of your sins. And Jesus walks up with His blood and He pours His blood onto that list. And now it's covered. And there's nothing to accuse you of before God the Father in heaven. You see the picture? That's beautiful. And the Father accepts this evidence on your behalf. And you are acquitted. Declared innocent. Holy. Righteous. Your sins, all of the things that you've done wrong, are not imputed to you. They're not laid on your name. You are not charged with them. And the righteousness of Jesus is given to you. It's the doctrine of justification. And you want to think of this courtroom, this scene. Every time you read in the scriptures the words justification or the word righteous or righteousness. For example, Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ through uh, to, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put, put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And the result of this, Jesus taking up his office as advocate and standing before the Father and pleading his blood for your case, the result is that now there's no room for the devil. Revelation 12 tells us this story, that Jesus ascends into the heavenly courtroom and he brings there his blood. And now, because there's nothing for the devil to accuse you of, the devil is thrown out. It takes Michael, the archangel, and all the other angels to remove him. But you can imagine that the, that a, a, a person causing a ruckus in a court and the judge set, uh, causes... Uh, what does the judge do? He says, contempt of court, and he asks the bailiff to throw him out. That's the picture. St. Michael, the archangel, is the bailiff, and he grabs the devil, and he throws him out. Nothing left to accuse. Nothing left to condemn you with. Nothing left to throw to God the Father on your behalf. Because even though you're a sinner, your sins are died for by Jesus and covered with His blood. So Paul writes, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn Christ Jesus died and rose again and is at the right hand of the Father and He is interceding for us. God be praised. But look, the devil's not done with his work. He no longer has a place in this courtroom in heaven, but he brings his accusing work down to earth and he brings it especially to the courtroom of your conscience. 
If you could picture your courtroom as a conscience, you'll, you'll see the picture. It's a place where judgments are made. And what the conscience should be judging is our own works and our own deeds. What we often like to do is we have that little judgment seat, you know, and we like to sit on that judgment throne and judge everybody else. <laughs> but that's a conscience that's being misused. If we understand our conscience rightly, then God Himself is sitting on the throne and we are the one who is accused. Our works are accused. Our, our sin is shown forth. In fact, if we want to understand the conscience, we understand that, that, that judgments there are made of four distinct things. The first is the conscience judges our own sins. The second is that the conscience judges the sins committed against us, and often we're better at judging that than our own sins. I don't, I don't know if this is true for you, but you could, you know, go around gossiping for four or five hours, but then you hear a whisper that someone said something about you, and your conscience is certainly troubled with that, Right? Our conscience is is adept at judging the sin committed against us. Our conscience also knows the sins that our neighbor commits against us, and it also knows tragedy in the world. And the way the conscience tells us that things are going on is that we're guilty. Even if we're the victim of sin, if someone comes and sins against us, that's shame. Even in this case, our conscience comes and makes us feel guilty. Now, if in our conscience God is on the throne, and we are standing there accused... We also know that the devil, Satan, comes there to do his work. And this should be very, very familiar to you. You recognize the voice of the devil. He comes first, remember? He comes first to tempt you to sin. And he'll use all sorts of tricks to get you to sin. He says, oh, nobody will get hurt. Or nobody will know about it. Or, and this is the worst, the way the devil works. He'll say, oh, don't worry, God is gracious. Jesus will forgive you. He uses the gospel to tempt you to sin. He'll do whatever it takes, really. He'll put whatever he can in front of you to tempt you to sin. And he does this for two reasons. The first is because he loves sin because sin brings death. But the second is that when you sin, now the devil has evidence to bring against you and accuse you. You've given him every sin. We give the devil evidence of our own guilt. And he brings that accusation to us. Now, how he does this varies. The devil has a lot of different tactics that he uses. If his plan is to trap you in habitual sin or to get you hooked on an addiction to harden your conscience, he holds the accusation of your sin back so that you sin and the devil says, See, no problem. Just like I told you, no big deal. You can do it again. And the devil is is holding back the accusation of that sin like a bucket, ready to dump on you when you're weak. Have you seen this? Have have you? I mean, it's happened to you, no doubt. But have you seen as someone is is there in their deathbed and they're and they're lying down and they're dying, and all of a sudden a huge bucket full of sin and guilt is dumped out on them. Sin that's that's 20, 30, 40 years old is suddenly coming back to their conscience and they have centuries of guilt laid on them as if the devil was holding it all back to reveal it then and cause you to despair. It's frightful. Or the devil collects that guilt from your sin and he brings it to you right away. He says to you, look at what you did. How could you possibly have done that? And we say, devil, you were just trying to talk me into it. (laughs) And he brings the law to bear. How could you call yourself a Christian and live like that? Now, these tactics of the devil 
should sound familiar. Or, or the devil brings other people's sins into the courtroom of our conscience. And he does two things with them. He uses them either to make us angry, and we become angry at the people that sin against us, and now we feel good about doing a good, about sinning against someone, we think it's a good work, they deserve it, or the devil causes us to despair. Someone sinned against us and they've hurt us and we're shamed and our conscience feels that we are guilty, I deserved it, or something like that. I mean, there's a lot more here, but this should get the picture. Your conscience is a mess, and so is mine. The devil is there doing all the work he can to twist it around. To make you forget the love of God, forget the law of God, forget the grace of God. And just like in the heavenly court, if there is no advocate, then we're doomed. But Jesus says... It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send you the advocate. I will send you the paraclete. Jesus, at this very moment, right now, is in heaven at God's right hand, and he's pleading your innocence, your righteousness, his blood. And he has sent to you the Holy Spirit to testify in your own conscience the very same thing that he says in heaven. So Jesus is there before the throne of God pleading his blood, and the Holy Spirit is now in your conscience pleading your blood, pleading pleading Jesus' blood. So the devil says, look, at your sin. And the Holy Spirit says, look, the blood of Jesus. The devil says, look, your guilt. And the Holy Spirit says, look, the blood of Jesus. The devil says, look at all of your shame and all the sin committed against you. And the Holy Spirit says, look, the blood of Jesus. The devil comes and says, look, here's God's wrath that you have deserved. And the Holy Spirit says, look, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the promise of the gospel. And just like the heavenly court, when the advocate comes into the courtroom with the blood of the cross and there's no more room for the devil, so it is, dear saints, in your conscience, there is no room for the devil when the Holy Spirit is there doing his work, bringing God's word. Or, and this is even better, the devil might hang around, but he's useful to us. The devil comes and he accuses us of sin and we say, thank you, Mr. Devil. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that sin that Jesus forgave. I thank you for reminding me of his great love and of his great mercy and of your destruction. <laughs> and this, dear saints, is what it means to have a clean and good conscience. It is a conscience, it is a court that hears the voice of Jesus, that our conscience looks a lot like the heavenly court. With Jesus standing there pleading his blood, so the Holy Spirit is here pleading the blood of Jesus. His work, his life and death. Now we have only one question to ask, and that is how does this happen? How does the Holy Spirit get into our conscience? 
How does the Lord do that work of being the advocate? You'll notice that that picture of a court that we had at the very beginning, that this very room is shaped a lot like this, and that this very service is shaped a lot like a courtroom hearing. We bring ourselves in here, and all of our works and all of our sins are up for judgment. And Jesus comes, and his death is admitted as evidence. It's brought to you through your ears, into your heart, and your conscience. The first thing we do when we come into this room is, is plead guilty. I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have sinned and ever offended thee. But then we hear the heavenly verdict over and over and over. Your sins are forgiven. The law shows our guilt, but the gospel absolves our guilt. And when we come up here to this, which is like the very seat of God, where he has placed himself, his own body and blood, we walk up here to see what he'll give us, and does he give us what we deserve? Judgment? No. Into your mouth, the blood of Jesus, which cleanses your conscience from sin. So that everything in the church, not just on Sunday morning, but everything else that goes on here and throughout the world is for this end and this goal, that your sins would be forgiven and by that you would have a clean conscience. That the words that Jesus right now at this very moment speaks before the Father in heaven, that his death prevails over your sin, that those words would echo in your own heart and in your own conscience, and that you, with a clean and good conscience, would rejoice. For what can the devil accuse you of that Jesus hasn't died for? What charge can the devil bring against you that's not covered by the blood of Jesus? What sin could you possibly manage to sneak by the cross? That is how certain and how sure the love of God is. So Jesus comforts his disciples. And he comforts us by saying, it is to your advantage that I go away. For when I go, I will send the paraclete to you. We rejoice today that the Holy Spirit is here and that he testifies in our own conscience and that we hear his voice. <laughs> that we have a good and clean conscience before the Lord in the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. 
Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.